Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Obviously, the stalemate between Jackson and the Ravens, it continues. ESPN NFL.com reporting Sunday morning that Baltimore offered Jackson a contract that would have given him over $230 million, 130 of that guaranteed, would have been more total money uh, and guaranteed money than Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray just got with their contract extensions. But Jackson wants the fully guaranteed deal, similar to what Deshaun Watson got, maybe even more money than that. Is there any chance he will ever get a deal like that, Doug? No, there's no way. And this has nothing to do with Lamar Looked great yesterday, balled out. He's going to be, you know, it, it, it has nothing to do with what Jackson deserves or any other quarterback deserves. When the Browns gave Watson that $230 million guaranteed money, other owners were furious and it had nothing to do with Watson's alleged multiple sexual assaults. It had to do with what the owners see as a dangerous precedent. Contracts with escape clauses are the last vestige of financial control for NFL owners. And even in situations like Kirk Cousins, where it's guaranteed for a year or two, that's really to manage a salary cap in the short term. If you look at Watson's contract, the dead cap in the first few years of this deal is similar to the gross national product of a medium-sized country. No other owner is going to repeat that mistake. It has, again, nothing to do with what Jackson deserves or not or any other player deserves or not. The uh, The very idea of... Even in a, you know, the cap is going to increase as broadcast revenue increases and streaming and gambling and all that because it's part of the the CBA. But no owner wants to set that precedent of all your marquee guys having fully guaranteed contracts. Nothing to do with Jackson. It's just not going to happen. Right. Obviously, like you said, from, from Lamar's perspective, he's looking at this like, listen, Watson already set a precedent. Whether you like it or not, that's the precedence that's been set. So I'm going to play to that. And considering what he's already accomplished in the league, the fact that he's still got such a sky high ceiling, even from there after winning the MVP at such a young age and, and being a superstar already. And the fact that he doesn't have any of those off field concerns, he has every right to go to the Ravens and say, listen, this guy got this is what this guy got. He set that bar. He set that market. Now it's time to do what everything, what everybody else does at every other position when this happens and go above that and say, this is why I deserve not just that, but more. That said, I completely agree with you. It's just not going to happen. The Ravens still have the leverage in terms of the franchise tag to keep him from hitting the open market for the next few years. The question then becomes, Doug, is, is how far will Lamar take this from his end? Will he sit out training camp next year? I know there's plenty of risk and reward from both sides here. For the Ravens to push this too far, for Lamar to maybe, you know, if he gets injured before he gets a a long-term deal of any kind. So definitely going to be interesting to see where this goes. Now back to what happened on the field this weekend, Doug. As the new season gets underway, we had all kinds of coaches with situations they were presented with on Sunday with the opportunity to do the smart thing, and they did the other thing instead. What was the worst coaching decision you saw in week one? And and it's going to be tough because we had a lot to choose from. Yeah, I wrote a whole piece (laughs) last night on the worst coaching. It was great. It was great. You had a lot of fodder there. 
Well, I started out thinking it was going to be Levy Smith's decision to run Rex Burkhead on third and one near the end of overtime against the Colts instead of Damian Pierce, whatever, because you and I are team Damian, and then to punt to tie. But I just, this is, we're taping this Monday morning, and I just finished a piece on how the Packers had no plan for Justin Jefferson. And I would say running a bunch of simple country cover three against Jefferson was maybe the worst coaching decision I've seen this week. I don't know, so Doug. I, I just I just traded for him in my dynasty league. I think it was a great decision. Well, you personally. do, yes. But it, were you Joe Barry, the Packers defensive coordinator, <laughs> you might be answering a few questions. Matt LaFleur, Packers head coach after the game, was quizzed about this and said, well, we were going to run zone. So J.R. Alexander – the Packers' best cornerback, I think we all agree on that, was not on Jefferson once in the whole uh, – on all uh, – Jefferson had nine catches and 11 targets. Not one of those 11 targets was Alexander on their best corner – you know, best guy on best guy. Duh. Mm-hmm. Um, because they were playing zone. Well, you play Saban coverage. You play, you know, man match. You do what teams do. If, if you're going into a game saying, well, this is what we're going to play and we don't care what you do with maybe outside of Devontae Adams, the best receiver in the NFL, Luke, I would say you get the, the, the cone hat for that one. That, that was my, I mean, I, I was going Texans and I watched the Packers defensive tape this morning and I'm like, oh, no, 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 it's this. So for me, it's the Packers. Luke, what about you? Yeah, I'm with you on the uh, on the Texans bit as well. There's connection between them and the one I'm going to pick from last year. But I- I'm going to go with Zach Taylor and the Bengals, right? I-, I mean, again, it's hard to narrow it narrow this down, but you have the Jamar Chase touchdown that he he doesn't challenge. Not only does he not challenge it, he races the the offense races up to the to the line of scrimmage to run the next play super quick. They end up going all the way to fourth and goal before Chase actually gets that touchdown. If they don't score there, you're going to go look back at that play and wonder what in the world they're doing. And then they go to overtime and the time management, right? They, they, the, the decisions they made, how early they snapped the ball to, to leave the Steelers enough time on the clock to, to go down uh, and kick that game-winning field goal. Again, I know this is the same guy, similar to what you just said about Burkhead. Remember last year in the Super Bowl, he's got Pirine on the field instead of Joe Mixon with the game on the line, just needing a couple yards. I guess I shouldn't be surprised here, but, man, that was a, that was a hard one to swallow. I'll give Taylor a little bit. What he said after the game was, I guess their their long their starting long snapper. Yes, there is such a thing as a starting and a backup long snapper. Kids uh, suffered a biceps injury either before the game or during the game, so they had a backup guy. What Taylor said after the game was, "Well, we didn't want to pressure him with running out, running the game clock down to two or one, and having some sort of false start, or you know, they already had a couple of bad snaps." So I get, you know, that sort of Overton window where you have that, you know, a few seconds where you're not putting too much pressure on the guy, but, you know, run it down a little bit, run it down to seven. It's the NFL. It's the NFL. Pressure is a reality in the NFL. You can't do that. Come on. Well, that's, yeah, I agree. Now, Doug, we're going to waste no time here. Obviously it's contender versus pretender time already. We're only one game into this season, but. It's overreaction time. Ding, ding, ding. It is. That's why we do this. It's so much fun. Now, among among the alleged contenders in the league going into the season, which one of those teams gave you the worst vibes regarding how the rest of the year is actually going to play out based on how they open the year? Luke, I'm going to answer your question with a question. Do you think the Packers missed Devontae Adams right now? Just a little bit. Uh, so set aside the offense, it looked like an unmade bet against the Vikings defense that really I struggled to take seriously coming into the season, and they, they look great. Um, 
we already discussed the Packers defense and boy, that Aaron Rodgers first pass Christian Watson, the rookie drops it. I mean, it's right there. And the look on Rogers face on the field, the look on Rogers face when he's, you know, pointing this and that. And he was either talking about uh, Watson or the fact that the shrooms hadn't kicked in with him. You never know Um, (laughs) that that's not a one week problem. I mean, we've said this before, right? Last year, Rogers was complaining about his receivers this year. He's got a point. And if you can key on, the their running back duo of uh, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon because they don't have any vertical threats. Eventually, even an Aaron Rodgers will run out of room. So for for me right now, it's the Packers because their defense just got demolished by Kevin O'Connell, the Vikings head coach. Really progressive passing game. I mean, if we're talking coach of the week, I mean Ken Dorsey of the Bills replacing Brian Dable and doing all his stuff. I put O'Connell right up there because like the Vikings have a progressive passing game. Dogs and cats, man. But, yeah, Packers, this is not a one-week problem. They, they have given me reason to worry over the long term. Luke, what about you? You know, I, I kind of feel bad, but I'm just going to keep piling on the Bengals here. Um, you know, Four they minutes. supposedly overhauled that offensive line in the offseason, right? And on paper, I, I guess they did. But it sure didn't look like it on the field on Sunday. They were uh, Joe Burrow was constantly under pressure. You had all the turnovers. Yeah, the defense is not going to have the benefit of playing against a Mitch Trubisky-led offense every week either, and even that wasn't enough to come away with a win uh, in this game. Again, Taylor's head-scratching coaching decisions, you don't know if that's going to improve. It sure looked on Sunday like the uh, the defending AFC champs are actually going to have a hard time getting out of their own division this year. Now let's finish up with more uh, irrational overreactions because it's that time of year. Um, let's go with the fact that one weekend – who do you think is the first head coach to be fired at some point this season? Luke, I do not think this is an irrational overreaction. I think it's Mike McCarthy. Uh, Cowboys head coach has never been known as a guy who will coach above his own station. He pretty much needs everything to be perfect if you want him to win a lot of games. There has never been a time in his career, which goes back a long way with the Packers and the Cowboys, where, oh, a bunch of you guys got injured and he's just going to Belichick his way out of that. That's not who he is. Well, Dak Prescott has a thumb injury out apparently six to eight weeks. Uh, their left guard got hurt. One of their safeties got hurt in the 19 to three loss to the Buccaneers talking about offenses that looked like unmade beds. That offense was abysmal and McCarthy's supposed to be the mastermind, right? It's not Kellen Moore. It's not Dan Quinn on defense and Kellen Moore on offense. And McCarthy just there to keep the coffee warm. That's what they tell us. Um, you know, but the Cowboys, whether they are realistic or not, always think they're in a championship window and Jerry Jones alternates between being really impatient and really patient with coaches. I think his patience may wear thin, especially if the Cowboys without Prescott, they start off, I don't know, two and four, one and five. Yeah. You think McCarthy makes it through that? I do not. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the best choice. But if I had to pick someone else, I, I'm going to go to one of our, uh, our favorite uh, punching bags from last year, right? Matt Rule in Carolina. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, his uh, what seemed like ineptitude. Uh, I think uh, at uh, from our perspective, but I think we can it didn't it look that. like things are going to be much better this year uh, based on what we saw Sunday. Right? They they kicked off their season with a, a home loss to the Deshaun Watsonless Browns. Right? He's suspended, so it was Jacoby Brissett getting the start. They needed a late comeback in that game just to make it a, a game at all. Um, again, against a team that didn't even have the the quarterback that they traded for. So. 
McCaffrey touched the ball 14 times. Christian McCaffrey, the best player on the field when when the, the Carolina offense is out on the field. He gets 14 touches. And outside of that 75-yard touchdown from Baker Mayfield to Robbie Anderson, I mean, the offense was puzzling. It was pedestrian at best. The Panthers feel like they're wasting what could be one of the best young defenses in the league. And I don't even know what the philosophy is on offense, right? Matt Rule is brought in from Baylor. He's supposed to be this kind of new age, you know, revolutionary. He's going to come in with this complex offense and 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 make plays and, and kind of do some new things at the next level. It just looks like he's in over his head, right? It doesn't look good. And I'm going to add a, a bonus word here. Ben. What's that? Mac, ben McAdoo. Two words. Ben McAdoo. That's the guy running your offense. Not great. Not a great decision. And, and honestly, if I had to pick a, a dark horse here, after the playoff collapse last year and what the Titans looked like Sunday, especially in crunch time and, and letting the, the Giants go in there and beat them at home, I feel like Mike Vrabel's seat has to be at least a little warm, don't you? Could be. Well, that <laughs> you have fourth and one in that game, and you decide, instead of giving the ball to Derrick Henry, who's on the field, to run a sweep to your rookie tight end who last ran the ball from Maryland in 2019, maybe not good. By the way, speaking of Carolina's defense, do you know how many times Jacoby Brissett was pressured? Not much. Not Once. much at all. Once. When, when so, And that was Cleveland's offensive line. When Bill Callahan's coaching your offensive line, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, I agree with Rule. I mean, we, we talked about Rule last season, this offseason. We're going to talk about him like, why are you still here? Why did you fire Joe Brady and bring in Ben McAdoo to run your offense? I mean, we have all sorts of questions, and one weekend, very few answers in that regard. Very few answers indeed. Um, but uh, I tell you what, the uh, the only answer I love is the fact that uh, the, the NFL season is back. We have so many, so many wonderful matchups this weekend, so much craziness, and I, I can't expect it's going to be any different in week two. We thank you, the fans, for coming along again for another episode of Four Down Territory. Once again, for Doug Farrar, I'm Luke Easterling, and we will see you next week. Take care, everybody. Thanks. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.